today we are continuing in the book of Acts. It's right where we are in our 260 reading. If you do not know about the 260 reading plan or the 260 journal, that is also available for you on our website. All the information is go to sm4.org. You're going to, again, you're going to see a big 260 right there on our homepage with all the information and a reading plan. But this week we've been reading, including the the two chapters that I'm going to be referencing, we have two back-to-back stories. End of Acts 18 and the very beginning of Acts 19. And it's about believers. It's about followers of Jesus who had had a genuine encounter with the living God. But what they discovered in both of these stories is that something was lacking. Something was missing from their stories. So let's read these two stories and then we're going to unpack it and talk about these. You ready? We're going to start in Acts 18 in verse 24. It says this, says a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord. And he taught others about who? About Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. You can underline that in your Bible or in your mind. He only knew about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila, these were friends of the Apostle Paul, these were leaders in the church, husband and wife, and it's interesting because almost always you would have read the husband's name first. But here we read about Priscilla and Aquila. And a lot of scholars believe that that is because Priscilla was actually the one who was kind of like leading in these areas of ministry. It was a a female who was kind of taking charge and actually doing instruction. And so it says, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more adequately. Something was missing. They recognized it, and so they pulled him aside. In some translations, it says they took him into their home. Probably went and had like a, a, a Sabbath meal together. Where they unpacked the way of God even more adequately. And so then we get to just a few verses later, the beginning of Acts 19, starting in verse 1. And it says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached that same city, the city of Ephesus that we just read about on the coast, where he found several believers. In other words, Apollos had been doing a good job because from what he did know, he had been teaching people about Jesus. So now we're back in that same city where Apollos was, and now we find that there's this little group of believers, but Apollos had now moved on. So Paul, the apostle Paul travels through the interior regions till he reaches Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them, no, 
they replied. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. In both of these back-to-back stories, we find these believers had experienced John's baptism, one of repentance, like where they knew there was a conviction that came. They knew they were out of alignment with the living God. And so they repented of their sin and they turned to God, but they did not have the complete picture. They had no idea that one was coming who would baptize them as well, and his name was Jesus. They had no idea about Jesus' baptism, only John's baptism. But Jesus' baptism is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then others brought this instruction to them. So first we find Apollos, this leader in the body of Christ. You find his name several places through the New Testament. This was a leader in the early church. Good man, an effective teacher. But here we find that it says that he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy, however he only knew about John's baptism. So this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, take him under their wing. It says that they explain to Apollos the way of God even more accurately. Here's what I want you to know. It's not that what Apollos knew was wrong. Because it said that he, he like taught with accuracy. It's not that what he knew was wrong, but it was incomplete. He did not have the full measure of what God had intended for people to know and to grow in. So what did Priscilla and Aquila do? They helped fill in the blanks so that he would have this more adequate, complete understanding and so that his ministry would become even more effective. And that's indeed what happened in Apollos' life and ministry. So then a few verses later, we kind of see the very same thing because it was probably Apollos who was the one discipling these early believers in the city of Ephesus. They also only knew about the baptism of John, that baptism of repentance. So that's what they had done. So Paul goes to Ephesus meets up with them, realizes that something is missing. He had that same spiritual intuition or insight that Priscilla and Aquila had had. I hear these people talking, but man, they never bring something up and it's super important. So he asks them, you know, what baptism did you see? Oh, the baptism of John. Their faith was real, but it was incomplete. They knew nothing about the Holy Spirit, the baptism that Jesus came to bring. But here's what I love, both about Apollos and then these believers in Ephesus. 
They were hungry. They were ready. You know, sometimes when somebody brings some instruction to us and says, hey, you don't have the whole picture here, what do we do, man? We become defensive. We're like, nope. I like what I got. I'm staying right here. I don't need no more. But this is not the story of Apollos, and this is not the story of this early formation of a church. It says that there was like a dozen guys meeting together. It's kind of like a little 260 reading group, right? Meeting over a Panera, and in drops the Apostle Paul and says, hey, you guys, you're missing something here. But rather than say, no way, man, we've been discipled by Pastor Mike and Pastor Gary. We know everything. We know, man, we've been hanging out with Apollos. But rather than do that, they say, we want this. They were hungry. Are you hungry? Do you want more? Are you ready for God to show us anything that may be lacking or incomplete in our faith? Do we want what Priscilla and Aquila did like to, to help Apollos along to even know about their faith more adequately, more completely. God, we pray right now that Father, by your very spirit and by your word, God, would you lead us into a faith that is more complete, that is more accurate, filled up to the full measure of all that you have for us as your people. So what's the difference between the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus? Well, guess who's gonna tell us the difference? John the Baptist himself. Because listen to the words that he spoke. It was captured by Matthew in Matthew 3.11. This is John the Baptist's own words. And he says, I baptize with what? Water. Any of you who have ever been baptized in water Man, it's, it's this reflection of what we see in the New Testament, this pattern of repentance, like acknowledging where I have been wrong, where my life is out of alignment with God. I need, so I need to repent. I need to, to accept, like, man, this is where I've messed up. And then it's not just acknowledging that I've been doing wrong, but that in the, even in the word repentance, it has to do with a change, a change of heart and a change of direction that says, God, not only do I acknowledge where I've been wrong, but I want to move in a new direction. I want to follow you. Even Jesus was baptized by John. So when we go to the waters of baptism, it is in a reflection that this is what has been going on in my story. I have repented, I have turned, I am starting a new life in Jesus. It's awesome. I baptize with water. Those who repent of their sin and turn to God. But someone is coming. Soon, <laughs> who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not worthy even to be a slave and to carry his sandals. He will baptize you. He says, I, I, I baptize with water. 
but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Isn't that awesome? So what's the difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism? John's baptism was one that was looking forward to what Jesus would do, to the work that he would complete, right? But Jesus' baptism is looking back on what he had completed. Having gone to the cross, having risen from the dead, and then had promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. And friends, this is the story of Acts. This is the exact things that we've been reading as we've read as a church family through the stories in Acts. Because it's the story of Jesus receiving what he had promised. That baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just the way that John had foretold and that Jesus had said is coming. In fact, I want you to see the words of Jesus because this was not just John, but listen to what Jesus said. It's captured in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus said this, and I will ask the Father, And he will give you another advocate. Just pause there in your thinking for a moment. Another advocate, meaning that Jesus had been their advocate. Now I'm gonna ask the Father to send you another advocate who will never leave you. Because remember, Jesus has been telling you guys, I'm going back to heaven. My time on earth is drawing nigh, it's, it's closing. Like these days are coming to a close where I am physically here walking alongside of you. But I'm gonna ask the Father and he's gonna give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. And I love what Jesus, there's so much there. I mean, we could take the whole morning and just dive right into that one scripture. So much here. But he's telling his disciples, listen, this this isn't gonna be foreign to you because you already know him because he has been with you but later he will be in you. There was a shift coming from the with to the in, where this baptism of the Holy Spirit, which means, the word baptized simply means to immerse. So when, when we are with the Holy Spirit, It's like, we got the Holy Spirit around us. We've got the Holy Spirit doing things. We can recognize, we can see God's work. But but Jesus said, no, this baptizing work of the Holy Spirit is going to literally be one where he is now in you. Constant. He will never leave you. You So when we say we have Jesus in our heart, right? That's a common phrase. 
You know, it's, it's actually one that is used scripturally. That's, you can find that in the Bible. But it's one we use as, as believers, I think, a lot. Like, hey, if you ask Jesus into your heart, what we're really recognizing here is we're recognizing that it's the spirit of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who literally, what Jesus is saying, will come and will dwell in us. Not just with us, in us. We do have God within us. Doesn't mean we're divine. He's the only one who's divine. But there's something divine that happens when the divine one comes and will dwell in us. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are one God. Different assignments. Different missions, one God. The Holy Spirit's mission was different than the one of Jesus. Jesus came to earth as a man to show us what God looked like. So we could actually like with physical human ears hear the words of God, see what God was like, watch what God would do in human broken situations. And then of course, Jesus went to the cross, huge part of his mission, sacrificing himself for, for us so that we might be forgiven, made pure by his blood. Holy Spirit's mission, different. Jesus' mission was relatively short. He was on earth around 33 years. You know, we only really recognize kind of those last few years of, of ministry that he did with his disciples training and raising up people who would take over and lead on. Holy Spirit's assignment is different. It was not short term because it says he will never leave. Because over the last thousands of years, the Holy Spirit has been at work in the world with people and within his believers who say, God, I, I want this baptizing work of your Holy Spirit. As we read through the New Testament, as we're doing this here, we're going to see lots of different things that we're taught that are part of the role, the mission of the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to like go bum, 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 like through, you know, there's probably at least 10 or 12 things that we see that the Holy Spirit has been up to and at work in our lives and in our stories. I want to just highlight three of them to our attention. These are parts of the mission of the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit is our helper. Everybody say helper. In John 14, 26, Jesus said this. He said, but when the Father sends the advocate, everybody say advocate. Now, in your Bible, if you're like reading a different maybe translation, I believe I was drawing here from the New Living Translation, but if you read some other translations, you're gonna see some other words when it says advocate. One of those other words is helper. Another word is comforter. Keep those in mind for a moment. But when the Father sends, the advocate is my representative. That is the Holy Spirit. If you didn't understand who I was talking about when I said the advocate. That is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. So... 
the Holy Spirit comes in this role of advocacy, a helper. Like the, the word, if you kind of dive into the like original language or whatever, literally means the one who comes alongside. He's your defender, your advocate, the one who is fighting on your behalf. Because we recognize that there's a battle going on in this life. But we are not alone in this battle. The struggle that we even have, as we read elsewhere in Scripture, is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle going on. And we have the living God of the universe within us to help fight our battles. If you ever wished, if you ever wished that you had Jesus right here with me, Tell me, fight my battles. Jesus is saying, you do. Because I've sent my spirit as your helper, as another advocate, as my representative. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is not only our helper, but he's our guide. Stated several different places in different ways, but moving forward a couple chapters from John 14 to John 16. Jesus continuing to teach his disciples about the Holy Spirit that would be coming. John 16, 13 and 14 says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So listen, when we talk about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're not talking about like, hey, like if you don't like what mom told you, go to dad. Because maybe you're going to get the answer that you really wanted. Man, God the Father is so mean. He won't let me do this. I'm going to go to Jesus. Right? Jesus said that I'm his friend. He's certainly going to tell me something different, right? If I turn to the Holy Spirit, come on, you're right here in me. You know the battle. You you know what, you know. It's like, uh uh-uh. Because God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Work in absolute, perfect, and complete harmony. There is no dissonant note. You know, that's like different. The Holy Spirit, it says, is not going to speak on his own. He's going to guide you into all truth, just the way that I have been doing with you, friends. So he looks at his disciples and says, hey, you know, this thing that we've been doing together, it ain't going to end. The things that I have shown you, taught you, guess what? I'm going to continue doing that. I'm going to do it right through my spirit. It's my spirit. In fact, I love this. There's different names for the Holy Spirit as you read through the New Testament. We've, we've talked about a few of them, right? Advocate, helper, comforter, guide. I love what Paul says. It's in the first chapter of Philippians, verse 19, where he actually calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of Jesus. 
Why? Because he was the representative of the Godhead, of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When we get the Holy Spirit, and we have God within us. Third part of his mission, just want to reflect on for a moment with you. Not only is he our helper, not only is our guide, he is our empowerer. I want to take you back before the book of Acts. If you're doing our 260 reading, what did we do? We read the, the gospel of Luke first, then straight into the book of Acts because it's written by the same author. It was written by Luke, both of these. So we're getting the story all the way from the birth of Jesus all the way through the first followers of Jesus and how they lived out the story when Jesus returned to heaven. We're getting it all from one author's perspective. It's really cool. So we're gonna go back to right before Acts when Jesus was still with the disciples. Luke 24, 49, Jesus said this. He said, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. <laughs> and again, I mean, all, in all these scriptures, we're seeing the Trinity, right? It's like, I'm telling you about my, what my father has promised and who my, you know, is gonna be sent to you, the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We see this all over, even though you'll never see the word Trinity in the Bible. It's there all over if you're just paying attention. So now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and does what? Fills you with power from heaven. The Holy Spirit is not only the one who fights for us, not only the one who's gonna show us, guide us, lead us with all those words of Jesus you know, into our futures, but he's also the one who empowers us. Now we first saw the fulfillment of what the father had promised and what Jesus said, this is coming soon, right now, don't leave. The Holy Spirit's gonna come in power. We first saw the fulfillment of that in the second chapter of Acts, where it says that all the believers would gather together in unity, they were in this prayer meeting, and boom, the Holy Spirit shows up in power and empowered these early followers of Jesus. They went from this very faithful group who had totally put their trust in Jesus, recognized that he is the son of God, but they were still walking in timidity. They were walking in fear. They were kind of locked away, concerned that like those soldiers were gonna come for them next, right? That was the threat. But what happens? The Holy Spirit comes on them and empowers them. They go from this faithful, timid little group huddled together to all of a sudden now they are on the streets proclaiming to people who had gathered from all over the known world. They're telling them the good news about Jesus with boldness. And that was the day when it says that 3,000 joined the 120. Boom. The church was born. That's when we first read about it. But as we continue reading through the book of Acts, we keep seeing that this promise was fulfilled. Not just once, but there was a pattern over and over. 
in churches and in gatherings. So we read about it in Acts chapter four. Those same disciples who had already received the Holy Spirit, man, they were being persecuted. They get into this passionate prayer meeting saying, God, would you just, would you give us, give, I love what they said. They didn't say, take away those who were persecuting us. They said, give us boldness. In the face of the brokenness and the persecution, give us boldness. And you know what? It says the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. There was an earthquake. It was shook where they were meeting. And then we go a few more chapters, and believers had gone out into Samaria, right? Outside of where God's people lived, the Jews lived. And there was this powerful revival going on in Samaria, and it says that the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. Then we go a couple more chapters to Acts 10. And this is where this Roman army officer named Cornelius has like heard from God something about, I I need to send for this guy, Peter, to like explain the way of God to me. So he gathers all of his family and his friends and they're all waiting. Peter shows up, starts talking about the good news of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. And then we get right here to Acts 19 to what we've been reading about these handful of believers in the city of Ephesus. And again, there's this pattern. They learn about Jesus and they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a pattern. One of the best ways that we can kind of think about where we are as God's church is to look back and it's why we're starting the year, right? Reading the stories of God's church, spending time in the New Testament because the most accurate predictor of what we should be experiencing in life and in faith and as a church is what? Seeing how this began. Do you think that we're not going to face persecution? They did. Do you think that we're supposed to operate without the power of the Holy Spirit? They didn't. So, let's bring this home. When we think about Jesus as our helper and as our guide, man, that just makes us happy. Actually, kind of feels nice, doesn't it? It's like, no, man, God lives within me, in me. That the spirit of Jesus is right here, man. And we just get this warm, cuddly sensation. It's like, oh, Jesus, you're right here, right? Makes me feel good. And you know what? When we read about Jesus as our helper and as our guide, we are reminded of Galatians chapter five and the fruit of the spirit. Anybody know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Because those are the things that, is, that the Holy Spirit will begin to cultivate in our lives, a different kind of fruit than we used to bear in our lives, a new kind of fruit. But it says in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, oh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. We didn't used to be faithful gentleness and self-control. I'm telling you, when you are operating with the Holy Spirit within you and he begins to cultivate a new kind of fruit in your life, you know what? You have never been better looking. 
because you've never been so whole or complete as who God made you to be, as that when you're functioning with this new kind of fruit that's coming out of your life, why is this new fruit coming out of your life? Because the Holy Spirit has been given to you to be your helper and your guide. He's helping you. He's fighting on your behalf. He's showing you where things need to be changed. He's guiding you into all truth. That makes me feel good. Actually, it makes me look good. Because you wouldn't like me if I didn't have this through the Spirit kind of showing up in my life. Right? Helper, guide, makes me feel good, makes me feel happy. Then we get to number three. He is the empowerer. Something shifts. Something changes. See, the Holy Spirit is our empowerer. He's not there to make you feel comfortable, to feel good, or to look good. It's a reminder of the sovereignty and power of God that also comes to indwell us. And it ain't comfortable. When we see the Holy Spirit coming in power, we see things like earthquakes, and we see things like fire, and we see things like wind represented in the book of Acts. Yikes. In fact, that's a little weird. That is not normal. That is not our day-to-day normal life experience. Earthquakes, fire, wind, like coming from what? What is going on? That is not our life's experience. Now, as long as those things are happening outside of us, right? Like if we like looked up and there was like fire like floating around the room and we recognize, man, this is the spirit of the living, we'd still probably say, man, that's so cool. You know, people would be like taking selfies with the fire, right? (laughs) This is so cool. As long as it's happening outside of us. It's weird, but it's cool. But then when the Holy Spirit's power doesn't stay outside of you, but comes inside of you, is where we get really uncomfortable. I don't know if I want that kind of power residing within me. And yet not only was that exactly what Jesus said was going to happen, And exactly what Apollos and these early believers in Ephesus did not have, but wanted and received. But I'm telling you, it is not comfortable. And sometimes it's not even pretty. It's the power of the living God who not only will come into us, but then has the audacious gall to say, now I want to come out of you in power. So, as we read in the first part of Acts 19, let me just refresh your memory with verse 6. It says, Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues, and they prophesied. This message is not like we're going to break down all the gifts of the Spirit. But tongues has to do with a God empowered 
language that God gives and that only God really understands. And I'm telling you, when I speak in tongues, it's not to look cool, to sound pretty, because honestly, for the uninitiated ear, right, because we read what Jesus said, the people that don't have, the people that are in the world, they don't get it. They don't understand the Holy Spirit. They can't even see the Holy Spirit at work. So for that uninitiated ear, it just sounds like childish babble. I've got this beautiful little grandson, Jesse James. Love him with all my heart. But when he talks, it's unintelligible. Now it's really cute because he's 10 months old. I'm an all grown up grandpa. When I talk that way, doesn't sound so cute. Nobody said, oh, you're speaking in tongues. <laughs> but what we see in scripture is, is that it is one of, not the only, but it is one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings. That's a power gift. I don't understand it. I don't have to. Because it's God's work, not my work. All I am doing is being a vessel that releases that gift. I just release what he gives. And they prophesy. What is prophecy? Prophecy is very, very simply speaking on behalf something from the Lord. Right? What did we read? The Holy Spirit would actually remind us of the things that Jesus is saying. So, if someone is operating with a gift of prophecy, and, and frankly, I believe that there are very few people who are prophets, like all the time, they're just like hearing something new from God. I think there are people who have really tuned themselves to listen carefully to, God, what are you speaking? I do believe that. I think, but I think there are very few prophets, but I think that everyone who is operating with the spirit of Jesus within them can prophesy. Like, I believe that every one of you who have submitted yourself to the work of Jesus, who've not only had the John's baptism, but Jesus' baptism, I believe that every single one has the ability to hear the voice of God, to hear what Jesus is saying. And then if you're bold enough to like say, you know what, Judy, I think this is what Jesus is saying. This is what I'm hearing. Does that like bear witness to you? Like, does that make sense to you? You know, it's like, okay. It doesn't have to be like, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be like this big flowery language, like it sounds like it's coming from the King James Version. It just is like, hey, I, man, I really think that God wants you to know this or be reminded of this. And it's almost always something of God's love, of his encouragement. So often he reminds us of something from scripture. That's like, man, I really believe that this is what you need to hear. Can I, can I tell you, listen, I do not consider myself a prophet in the least, but I've prophesied. And I do believe that, listen, when, when I get the opportunities I do on many Sundays of the year and some other cool occasions to like stand before our church, do, do, I want you to know something, that I believe that there is a prophetic element to what happens on Sunday mornings as we open God's word. Why? Because I have been praying 
and seeking God, saying, God, what do you want to tell me through your spirit that I can help, like, bring to my friends? So what does the Holy Spirit do? He's our helper and our guide. He is cultivating the fruit of the Spirit, but he's also doing something else. He comes in power. He's the empowerer. And so not only should we be demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, but he's wanting to release the gifts of the Spirit. Listen, friends, you may not know this. We are a Pentecostal church. In fact, any four-score church that you go to fits within that particular tribe of Christianity. We are so embracing and inclusive and open when it comes to all the different tribes. Within. We don't believe, like, we've got it. It's us, you know. Do you know the secret, you know, four-square <laughs> gang sign? Okay, you can come in the door. No, four square, like from our very foundation a hundred years ago, we're a hundred years into this movement. Now all over the world, over 70,000 four scorchers around the world. It's amazing what God's done in a hundred short years. Super inclusive from the very beginning. We're a Pentecostal church. In other words, we believe in these things. We believe that not only should we be demonstrating the fruit of the spirit, but that the Holy Spirit also wants to empower his followers. His power will come upon us and move through us. And like I said, this isn't a message where we have time to like unpack all of the gifts. But when you read stuff in the New Testament about healings and miracles and tongues and the prophetic, Man, not only do we believe that all of that is for our church, we seek to operate in these gifts. But can I, can I tell you, it's not because I want you all to speak in tongues like I do. I don't. I, it's, like, it's like, great. I, I believe it's important, and I've taught on that before. I'll teach on it again. But you know what? Honestly, that's not the point. I want the Holy Spirit to be so in you that you're like, God, if you got another gift for me, bring it on. I, I want you to be empowered the way that Apollos was or those early believers. They just didn't know what they didn't know. But they were hungry. They were desiring all that God would bring them. So my desire for our church is that we would be a people like Apollos. And the church in Ephesus where they're just like, come on, teach me. Bring it. Like, I want more. I want more. I want all that God has for me. Nothing, listen, not the craziness that we don't see in Scripture. Just one little comment, and I really am wrapping up. But in fact, let, can we just have our worship team come back up? Then we're going to close in prayer and an opportunity to respond. But I know why people are so often like wanting to keep the Holy Spirit as the empowerer at arm's distance, at arm's length. So often is because they had some bad experience with something weird, something hurtful that happened as people were trying, I believe to the best of their ability to operate 
in the power of the Holy Spirit, but it kind of went sideways. Listen, we're, we're, this church right here, Foursquare has been around 100 years. This church has been in Santa Maria for about 95 of those years. We got a lot of history. Most of it is beautiful and holy and righteous and pure. But you think in 95 years that we didn't get some things wrong as a church? We did. I'm, I'm saying that as the pastor of this church that I love, that God called me for this season to lead. But I know the history of our church. And I know that sometimes in the pursuit of things of the spirit, that people got freaked out, they weren't ready. Talked about a month ago to a lady in our community who didn't know I was a pastor when we started the conversation. And by the end of the conversation, man, she not only figured out that I was a pastor, but like, what church do you pastor? Santa Maria Forest Church, oh my gosh, can I tell you a story? And this lady was a talker. And she'd been here in a service where right during the middle of the message, this was years ago, right during the middle of the message, someone gets up and starts speaking in tongues like right during the middle of the message. This lady and the family that was with her, they weren't even followers of Jesus yet freaked them out so dramatically that you know what they did? They got up right in the middle of the message and walked out the doors and never came back. That breaks my heart. Because friends, I, I wanna tell you what I am committed to, to passionately pursuing the gifts of the spirit, but never where those are divorced from the fruit of the spirit where those things are working in such harmony together that when the gifts of the Spirit, all, any of them, all of them are occurring, do you know what we're, we're feeling in those moments? What we're experiencing is the love of God, the joy of God, the goodness, the kindness, and even the patience of God. When those things, when, when the gifts of the Spirit get divorced from the fruit of the Spirit, ugly stuff can happen. And I'm sorry if that has been an experience that you've had. I, I'm, I'm talking to all of our friends online at this moment. Listen, I repent where the church has gotten it wrong. And if that is somehow like put this taste in your mouth, it's like, man, I never wanna be around that kind of weirdness. Can I say, I'm sorry. <laughs> not that it's not a little weird. Cause it's outside of our normal day-to-day -day experience. But so is God when you think about it. Is the living God of the universe who created the world, sustains all things, knows us inside and out, went to the cross to redeem us, to forgive us, and then has given us his Holy Spirit to empower us, help us, guide us. Is that not outside of our day-to-day -day experience? Yeah. So why should his works in and and through us be any different. We're gonna just close with a, an opportunity to reflect. And then I'm, we're gonna sing a song and during that song, I'm gonna invite my friends to just come and 
who've been praying all through this week for you and for our church and for those online. And I'm just gonna invite them to come and position themselves kind of around the sanctuary. And before you leave today, I do not want you to leave wondering, am I walking like Apollos and those early believers in Ephesus without the fullness of the Spirit? If, you're, if you have any question about that at all, man, you don't, you don't have to. Because we're gonna pray just like Paul did in Acts 19, if Holy Spirit come. They're not gonna do anything magical. They're not gonna do anything. They're just gonna do what we see in scripture. I'm just praying, Holy Spirit come. As helper, as guide, and as empower. Though you could walk in the fullness of all God has for you. Would you close your eyes? And I'm gonna finish with the words of Peter. It's from the second chapter of Acts. Each of you must repent. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the name of the Lord our God. of the living God. Let's worship. Let's pray. You're dismissed.